Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. Uh, today, I'm live, but I'm not live. I pre-recorded this episode a couple of days ago. Um, this week's episode is really, really personal to me. I recorded this week's episode with my little brother, Jake Anderson. So Jake is um, an incredible guy who, and I'm not just saying that because he's my brother, but he's achieved so much at the age of 33. Um, Jake got into recruitment with me in Australia in 2011 and saw, he was an amazing contract builder, was, was trained a certain way and technology recruitment did a really good job. He then moved to Sydney and, and, and did really well. And then he built his own business in Sydney, a recruitment company there called the drive group. And then in 2016, I believe he, he sold his shares in the business after just about a year. Um, made a lot of money, uh, but decided he was homesick and wanted to come back to the UK. Then, after Hoxo launched and I was doing what I was doing, Jake kind of took a lot of inspiration from what I was up to and launched his own marketing agency in, dedicated to the fitness industry called One Life Social Media. One Life grew pretty rapidly to a seven-figure business. He had over 25 staff, um, and he was working with clients, 600 clients all over the world, the skills he'd learned in recruitment definitely benefited him, but he didn't know the industry and he still managed to build this amazing business built on content, running adverts for gyms all over the world, but he wasn't happy. He was far from happy. Um, Jake suffered from extreme anxiety, depression, burnout. Um, and when the business was at its biggest at the end of 2019, he was miserable. He was miserable. Um, what happened after the pandemic was that Jake's business fell apart effectively, um, mainly because clients all told him they wanted to pause their contracts in the pandemic because every gym was closed around the world, but also because Jake genuinely didn't want to do it anymore. He, he'd lost, he realized that he wasn't happy and that actually life's more important than, than, than the business that he created, even though from an ego perspective, that's very difficult to accept. So this is very personal to me. I saw this journey as his older brother. I actually lived with him in the summer of the first pandemic because I well, the first lockdown, because I'd split up with my wife, moved out of Man back to Manchester, lived in his house. So I'm suffering from a divorce at the exact same time that Jake's dealing with the most severe depression I've ever seen in my life. Um, he even admitted to having suicidal thoughts at this point. It was nuts. Anyway, fast forward, he's now no longer doing that business, and he's actually now working with 
high performance individuals like recruitment owners and actors and some sports people and all different types of people to help them to ensure that they don't suffer from the same burnout and anxiety that Jake suffered. Um, it's fitting that, you know, when I recorded this, it was mental health awareness week and I posted about Jake's story on LinkedIn. He got well over a hundred thousand views. This is raw. This is honest. Um, and I hope you really enjoy it. I hope you get a lot from it. So without further ado, Jake, welcome to the RAG podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on, mate. A bit weird. It's a bit weird for me, I'll be honest, having my little brother on the show. And I, and I can see in your house, like, I've been in your house so much, I know exactly. I could just imagine there's like incense burning in the background. It smells like a yoga retreat in your house. Well, there was before, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Jake, do us a favor. I know it's uh, some people might know you based on some of the content I put out recently, but a lot of people listening won't. So, just give us a really high level overview of who you are right now. Yeah, so so right now I've just started a new, um, officially launched a new business um, as a high performance coach, um, mainly working across like mindfulness and um, and mindset with with high performers, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. Yeah, so business owners, um, you know, looking at. The recruitment sector obviously i've worked in in the, in the digital marketing space and also the fitness industry um but yeah entrepreneurs and business owners right cool and you've i mean you've helped me you've worked with me quite a lot so i, I know firsthand right um i think it makes sense though to go backwards for people i always do this on the show i always like to go back um i can do a bit of the going back so the the backstory with us is obviously we're brothers and i i went traveling in 2010 with Amma, my business partner, one day, and I remember you got back from, from America and said, where are you? So I said, we're at Facebook pictures. And you were like, cool, I'll be there on Friday. And I was like, what? And then you just rocked up a few days later. And then, and that was it. That was our journey to getting abroad. And then we landed in Melbourne. But so tell, tell us your version of how you got into recruitment. Because that was 2011, early, a long time ago now. Long time ago, yeah. So, um. Yeah, so obviously I came to meet you in um, Southeast Asia. I've just been coaching football in America and um, also doing some photography. And then obviously we travelled Southeast Asia and then we ended up going to Melbourne. And um, got dark to Melbourne. days. Dark got fucking days. Dark days, yeah. The start of it was difficult. We were staying in different hostels. We were doing a lot of different jobs. You know, we were working for charities, selling on the street, um, working as tradies. Uh, you know, <laughs> trade show events and horrible, horrible times. Not really, um, weren't really fit for those kind of jobs. And then, <clears throat> what other jobs did we do? We did loads of different, different things anyway, didn't we? And then, I think it was about six to eight weeks into being there, being in hostels, and we were like, well, we have to make a decision here. Are we going to stay and carry on these kind of jobs, go and do some farm work, or we're going to go, you know, we're going to try and get a career, or we're going to go back to the UK? And then, um, James got a job, James. There, James got a job, didn't he, in, in, in recruitment and sponsorship and the exchange rate at that time was pretty good and the, the salary was was quite appealing. When he got a $50,000 salary, I remember we like, we were there in our like really cheap suits from Big W that we just bought going to the uh, Melbourne Grand Prix, like earning about, I don't know, $8 an hour or something, $50,000. Like, yeah, I'll do that. It was about £30,000, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah. It, was, um, it was appealing and then... I ended up, you know, starting to apply to different Rex Rex and um, spoke to a few different ones and then got put across to like 
certain amount of recruitment companies and then went to some interviews. You spoke to my old mate Pete Watson at one point, didn't you? I spoke to Pete, yeah, he missed out though. There's another um, ah. one that got there a bit quicker. Gutted, um, Pete, gutted. That would have made Mint Artois, that would that, that placement, that would have made him. And then um, I had four interviews in a day. So yeah. we went to the first interview which was with Sirius Technology um, in Melbourne. And they just like, they were a startup at that point, they had about four people. And went to Hayes and two others, I can't remember the names now. I went to two others and um, got an offer from Sirius in the interview. And was like, yeah, I'll let you know by the end of the day after I finished all the interviews and decided that it seemed like the best option for me and the best fit and ended up um, joining Sirius, which was... Your yeah. life, I, I went to Randstad, Amma went to Randstad, James went to Randstad. So we all went to the big corporate and you went to this literally like three or four of you in a room, weren't there, in, down the road. You were on, were you on the same, were you on Collins Street as well? Yes, Collins, one out in Queens. Yeah, yeah. So you were in, you were just, we used to meet at lunches and after work and stuff. And I remember you, you had a hardcore experience. Like I was like, you know, softly sent to Sydney in week two to go to training. <laughs> you were like, I felt like you were just shaving your beard off every hour because you, <laughs> you were like, <laughs> you look so corporate. But you're in this little room. Tell us about what was that initial boiler room like in Sydney, in Melbourne, sorry. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was definitely corporate and had to shave. And, um, <laughs> Obviously wearing a suit for the first time, pretty much. And yeah, I was lucky. I ended up working with a guy, Tay. Um, Tay Ipopo is like one of the best, probably the, the best biller in that company, um, that million dollar biller. And he was a great mentor and a great person to work with. And then there was only like a small team of like two or three others. Um, but they had a, an established business in Sydney. Yeah. So the Melbourne office was relatively new. The desk I was on was like, literally there wasn't a desk. There was no, um, there was no contacts. There was no candidates there was nothing so i had to just build that from scratch but luckily i sat next to tay and asked him a lot of questions and he was there to support me and um i didn't know what to i didn't know what i should be doing or what you know to expect from being in a role so it was very much like there was never a job given to me there was never never anything given to me so i had to go and find it myself and i think it was really good character building and yeah, I think it was a good good first experience in recruitment. So I ended up you doing that. Pretty, you learned a pretty brutal way of doing it, didn't you? you like you learned like, like I was the opposite. I joined uh, the commercial division of Randstad, and then they created they won this government tender, and they put a lot of basically a lot of Brits on four five seven visas into a team that was the government team where we basically had a PSL we'd signed with no contacts. No one had to use us, but everyone was allowed to use us. There was only like five suppliers you competed with. Yeah, and it was like a training ground. They didn't even give us a commission structure. They just went go and go out and make. And I got to like twenty contracts out, made no money. Yeah. I remember you were like not doing any deal, and then suddenly you did like I think you made like twenty thousand dollars in a month, and I was like, what the fuck is he just done? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like uh, it was difficult for a while. There was obviously no commission early on, and then I think I did a few deals. Like I got a lot. I was very unlucky as well. Like I was doing contract mainly and. And perm, I was doing the mixed desk at that point because we were such a new business. But yeah, I was unlucky. Some of the deals I was putting in were just falling out last minute. People dropping out. I remember I was in the gym with you where we were yeah. staying when the first deal fell out like the first day we started. Oh. Um, it was horrible. But yeah, in terms of in terms of the commission, yeah, I did I think it was like twenty grand in that first first month after doing some placements. But the way in which we did it was very much like a you know a lead gen focused approach of stripping candidates all day working with candidates and then, you know, generating leads and then off the back of it, you know, call it into, call it into the right, right clients at the right time and then finding the right candidates as quick as we possibly could. So it wasn't, um, 
there was no relationship building was there it was a it was a bulldozer approach as opposed to mine was all about networks and coffees and relationships and which actually played into my career in london really well because when i went to when i joined venquist we the way they wanted to work was exactly we had no clients it was more like yours but the way we won clients was through coffees and relationships we didn't we did we did we did go for obviously aggressive spot business but within a relationship approach tell yeah. us so so we we did about 18 months and then i remember i left went to london with james and Emma. you went traveling the world at that point mm-hmm. and then you moved to sydney didn't you so you did you went around the world you had a you went to like India for months and all sorts, and then you ended up back in Sydney working for the Sydney office. Yeah, yeah. So I went. <clears throat> you went back to to London. We went to Bali, didn't we? And then mm. I went to travel Australia, did New Zealand, did India, Asia. Oh well, no, sorry, Japan, uh, Philippines, and then came back to England. Ran out of the commission. It uh, all been spent on traveling, and then um, I was staying at Dad's, and then I was deciding on whether to get a job in Manchester or go back to potentially Oz. And then Tay reached out to me just. Just after Christmas, good time to reach out in England. Um, he reached out to me like, do you want to come back to us? And I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. It was going into January. Miserable at home, yeah. When I was staying obviously with parents, and I was like, yeah, why not? Um, but if you can get me a job in Sydney, that would be the preference because I fancy trying out a new place. And then um, went and joined the Sydney team. They had about 40 people in, a, in the office there, and it was a really established business. And I was doing project services, like testing business analysts, project managers, and they didn't really have an established desk in Sydney, but they had the software development team that had a lot of relationships and a lot of business, which I could then at least leverage off to an extent by ringing the same clients. Um, That's where you met James Sullivan, who became your first business partner, right? Yeah, I was lucky with that, with the with the business there and the people I worked with, Roman Lenio, who was our manager, he was brilliant um, from Manchester as well. And then James was working under Roman in the in the contract team for the developers and then i was working under project services with uh with roma and james so yeah it was um so i met james and we ended up when did you first know you wanted to start a business when can you remember the moment when you you and james started chatting and it was clear you were going to do something yeah i think i think for me i think i would have probably set up even before that like if i was in the uk i think i would have probably set up pretty quick um Within a year, I reckon I would have probably gone and gone and set up my own recruitment company. But because of because of obviously the visas and the situations and things like that in in ours, then yeah, I think when I first got to Sydney, I didn't speak to James for for months. Like I didn't literally for the first six months, we didn't speak. Um, like no, and we sat opposite each other, but we didn't really speak. We were both so focused on obviously trying yeah. to contract desk and just work. I never got to really got to know him, and then um, got to know him more and more. I was really close to Roman as well. And um, yeah, it was great. Got to know them both. Roman ended up leaving, setting up his own business, which was a big, had a big effect on the team. We didn't really have a manager after that, but we still continued to um, to do well. There was only a small contract team anyway. And then um, did two years with Sirius in Sydney, built it up to a certain amount of contractors and on a desk that hadn't really been established in Sydney before. And then I remember just thinking like, I got the permanent residency. And I was um, pretty impulsive at that time. Still am at that. And um, I was just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set up." And spoke to James about it. And and um, and he so was also- you that did you approach James then? Yeah. So I'd so we were, there was conversations obviously before we'd left, but there was no plan in place. And then I wanted to take some time off just to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. So spoke to the director, who was great. Who was also somebody that I got on with really well. Um, 
in the business and just was honest with them and said, you know, at the minute I'm I'm pretty burnt out from it and want to take a break and decide on whether I'm gonna Did you feel burnt out then, do you think? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've done like, you know, three years of um hardcore leeching. And I was uh, <laughs> I was pretty I was pretty burnt out not to been be given a, not been given a single bone in three years. Yeah, I needed um I definitely needed a few months. So I spoke to him, we left on really good terms. Um, there was quite a big transition in the business at that point. Quite a lot of people were, were, were moving on from the company. And um, yeah, it took a few months off, spoke to James and he was also keen to go ahead. And then we set up the drive group. So did you, I'm, that's a bit I forgot. So at that point, I'm at Venquist doing my thing, going quite well, starting to make money. What? When did you take time off? I can't, what did you do? I can't remember that. Yeah, so I took three months off. So I took... I took three months off in Sydney. It was going into, just gone past summer, it was going into winter. And yeah. um, I ended up going to Hawaii and, and travelled America uh, for about a month. But for a couple of months, I was just going to the gym and taking some time off in Sydney and still going to the beach. And you had, Did you have PR so you could do that? You had permanent residency, so you weren't worried at that point? I had PR, yeah. Like, the rules have changed since then, like, in terms of how long it takes to get PR, how long it takes to get um, a passport. But at that point, yeah, I had PR. So for me, it was... So you could do what you want. And James, did he take the same time off or did he stay? So James stayed in the company for, for I don't know how long it was, maybe a month, two months, maybe a well, month. And so then, paint the picture of the drive group on day one. What, what, I remember you telling me about it. Paint the picture for people. What was it really like starting your own agency in a foreign country with another British lad in, uh, yeah, what year? And what year was it? Can you remember? When you actually started? It was um, 20... 2015, July 2015. So what were you at that age? What age were you then? 26? 26. 26. Young, isn't it? So tell us, what was it like? Where were you based? Where did you work from, etc. So me and James, um, me and James went to Hawaii together with our girlfriends at the time. And um, we also worked with Volcanic. We were the first, yeah, first yeah, yeah. Volcanic in in ours, I think, at that point. Well, because Volcanic was Venquist's website, wasn't it? And you said to me, they look good. And they've got a subscription model. Mm. Well, I'm, not, I'm not having that. So you, <laughs> you negotiated against their model, but to be the first website in Australia, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah and I think they've done I think they've done pretty well in all since then yeah. as well. And yeah. Um, yeah, so basically got back from Hawaii and then we'd obviously set the website up and got some little bits and bobs done and, you know, getting um, different CRMs set up and things like that. And then, yeah, literally... We were like, well, where are we going to work from? We're not going to work from home. So we um, we worked from James's gym. So he had, had an F45 studio. And we were like, well, we might as well save on the you know, on the rent for now and just work from somewhere where we also go to the gym so we could train in the morning. Um, it was in Bondi. So we'd go drive to, drive to the gym, train at like 5.30, I think it was, or something, and then, or 6, something like that. And then by quarter to 7, We'd have showered in the in the gym. There'd be another class on, and we're walking through the class and then going to this little room, which was in the gym, but it had no like. I had to walk past people training and then go into a little room, and we both had our desks facing the walls. <laughs> no windows, no windows, nothing. Just just a little room with two. Desks. So you could be like a beautiful Sydney day, and you'd be you wouldn't have a fucking clue. You're in like some yeah. cupboard. Yeah, yeah, just in like a cupboard, and and the music was well loud from the F45 class. So we've gone calls from... That reminds me of my bedroom in Melbourne. Do you remember that? So just to cut in, 
we lived in this house in, in by Albert Park, which is where the the Melbourne Grand Prix is, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, it and it had three bedrooms, one for Amma, one for you, one for me. But my room, which at the time I thought I got the short straw, but it turned out to be quite good in the winter. My room had no internal window. It, it, no, it had no external windows. I had a window that looked into your room. <laughs> it was yeah. fucking weird. It was like a fake, they put a fake wall up and created two rooms. But this window was really high up, so I couldn't actually see in your room. But I remember whenever you'd switch your fucking light on to go to the toilet, I'd think it was morning. I remember once I actually got up because you put your light on, must have gone to the toilet. I thought it was the morning. I started putting my, I started getting ready for work, and I didn't look at the clock. It was only like three in the morning. Um, so that, yeah, not not the best, not the best experience at all. So what what was it like working in an office with no windows? Yeah, it was pretty. Um... For a few months, it was all right. Like you can, you can get get by with it. You can do it for a period of time, but yeah, you got um, you wanted to be out for coffees as regularly as possible to try and. How did you did you out. did you just use the method you'd always known then? The, like the way you built Melbourne, the way you built Sydney, it was like well, yeah, you were so used to cold desks, it didn't make a fucking difference that you were on your own. Really, you just go after new clients you didn't know. It was exactly the same. Yeah, you just go after clients that we that we didn't know, and we'd use the same you know the same strategy that we've been taught and. It literally made no difference at all, really. Um, and we had a lot of success very quick. And um, and then obviously we just continued from there. We did we did about five or six months in the office. We were getting asked by candidates and clients like, um, "Where are you?" Because um, it sounded like we're in a nightclub or something. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we're, the, the music's blaring in the background. Yeah, yeah, well loud. And they were just like, "Yeah, yeah, we're just near a gym. Uh, we're in the we're in the gym." Um, but we just say to him, yeah, we weren't near a gym. And then it got to a point where we were both like, I think it's time to get an office. Or, you know, <laughs> so we lived in Surrey Hills, which was near the city. So going to Bondi was the opposite oh, direction. And um, we were both like, why not? Let's get, get an office. So we moved to, uh, got an office in Surrey Hills. And um, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Big glass yeah, windows. A bit like yours now, like that, like, you know, very modern and yeah. um, glass windows and then glass all around. So you could actually see out and, um, what was your what was your initial plan for the drive group? What did you see? Do you, do you know what you initially thought you'd want to do? I don't think we thought it through that much um, going into it. I think it was, you know, thinking back now, it was like, you know, to have more freedom to, you know, to potentially, you know, to make more money. Um, to there wasn't really like a full on strategy. I think we both went into it thinking. We're going to just see how this goes. And um, we both knew that we were good at what we did. And we both knew that we could we could do it on our own. And we just wanted to to test it out. And there wasn't like a full-on strategy going into it. And You didn't have like grand plans of 100 staff like some owners do. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was kind of, let's have a go and see how we can go. And then after you know a year or whatever, we'll review it and see where we go from there. And we divided the roles to an extent, but... There wasn't that much divide obviously some of the finance stuff and admin stuff and things like that but um we didn't go into it with like this like yeah first year we're gonna do this second year we're gonna hire this many people and you and both build you both build well in year one right both build well in year one um both build well i started stronger and then james <laughs> and then james was struggling a little bit and then james came into it and he was a really good he is a really good builder and um, probably the probably the most consistent Biller I've seen. Was it and competitive I, between the two? At times it could be, yeah. Uh, we would try and make it a little bit competitive, but then be like, well, why are we doing that? So I remember speaking to you like, yeah, we don't really work Fridays anymore. Like we just 
sack it off when we've done it. I've had a good week. <laughs> you yeah. smash a week and be like, yeah, fuck it on a Friday. Friday afternoons, we used to we used to just go and go out and go for food and maybe get some have some beers. But I think we were, it was also getting to a point where you do need to then put more plans in place and create more of a structure and and have more of maybe you know a direction that you want to go in that that, that aligns with with both you and for me i think what i wanted from from the business was probably different to what james wanted from the business and that was one of the main reasons for me to you know because i was what did you want i think i i think looking back now at the time i probably didn't fully know but i think what i was looking for was a lifestyle from it where i could you know have a certain amount of contractors out do some perm deals and have a nice lifestyle where I work a certain amount of days a week and maybe take Fridays off, maybe take Mondays off, maybe live in different locations and, and build it around a lifestyle that I actually um, <clears throat> want to live. So yeah, I think that's what I did want, but I didn't fully know it at the time. And then um, I went for a period there where there was a burnout. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I'd been in recruitment for four years at that point. And that was coming to the end of the first year. And I'd just broken up with a girl that I'd been with in uh, Australia for quite a while. And I just I was just getting the passport. So there was a lot of things that were happening at once coming into the end of the first year. We'd had a really good year. So it was like, now we need to make plans to hire and do all these different things. And I just didn't feel like a, I, I wanted to commit to all that growth and you know hiring all those different people. Um, and I felt like a, there was something else that I wanted to pursue, but I didn't really know what it was. And I felt you like, went to you went to India, didn't you, and spent some time with Mum and you? Yeah, you had an oldie there, and then you were like, "I'll have a break." I remember you saying to me, "I'm going to have a break from it. I'll come back, and hopefully, I'll be refreshed to go again." And yeah. I don't think you came back that refreshed, did you? Oh yeah, I went away. Um, me and James were having chats at the time as well, just explaining, trying to be as as open as possible as I could be at that time in my life. You know how I could communicate and. Um, yeah, I went to India for two weeks with mum and Ed and I won't say it was a refreshing trip. We drank a lot and um, you know, I came back from that, I came back from that and I had a really good time catching up with, with mum and Ed and then got back and it was like within a day, it was I was back to the, the mindset I was in before I went. So then I was like, Yeah, there's something not right here. And then I carried on and every day I feel the same. And then I was like, something has to change. I need to I need what to think. Feet? What did you what, what was going on in your head? What was what was the narrative? Well, I couldn't, I was going to the gym and I couldn't out-train it, which has happened on a number of occasions um, in the last 10 years where I'll try and, if my mindset's going in a certain way or it's feeling busier and busier or, you know, I'm, I'm maybe not motivated to actually continue on that on that path for the thing that I'm doing, then I would obviously use different techniques to try and change my mindset. But I couldn't change my mindset with that particular business and that, and that, and that, um, and that role at that minute in time. And it was the same in, it was the same in other recruitment jobs where I think I get, I got to a point with it where it'd be like, I need a new challenge. And this one was like for the last, for that last few months, because I was also going for a breakup, which was confusing. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. I didn't really know how to deal with or process my emotions. I didn't know how to process the thoughts. I didn't, I didn't know whether I was home. You drank a lot. You probably pushed yourself into going out a lot as well. You were yeah, going out. I would have gone out pissed and gone out with all my mates in Sydney and had a lot I had a good social life in Sydney. There's a lot of a lot of mates from I played for two football teams, so I knew about 
50 lads, you know, English and Scottish and Irish lads, and there's always an opportunity to go out. Um, so I do that to obviously try and mask the, um, probably the, the pain that was going through that, that time. But I didn't know, I didn't work with anybody. I didn't work with the coach, didn't work with the therapist, didn't work with anybody. So I didn't. I don't think any of us knew that was a thing then though. Like yeah. I remember me, I remember coming to see you in end of 2016, we had Monkey's wedding and I, I flew out with my ex and Amma and James and you, you were in that transition of coming home. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd agreed to leave the business and you clearly were, weren't happy. You didn't know what you were going to do. And, but we didn't know, no one was like, oh, you need to go speak to someone here. Like it never went through any of our brains <laughs> once. So you, you successfully negotiated to sell your shares to James and, and part ways. And it was tough. I remember you had to get legals involved. It was really emotional. It was tough. But the good thing was you and James seemed to remain friends quite it, like it was like instantaneous. You didn't, you didn't lose that bond with him. No, no, no. We, we, it was obviously it was a difficult period for both of us. And I think we were both trying to do the best we could and be as honest and open and upfront as we could be. Um, but it's always difficult. Those situations are always hard, but yeah, we came out of it on um, still really good mates and, He's done well. They carried on. The business is going well. The business has done really well. Yeah, he brought in a new um, a new partner, and I think they're at like 15, 20 people, and sounds like they're doing really well. So yeah, good on them. So your journey then took you again around the world for a bit. I remember you went to Africa and stuff, and then you landed in London, and you. I was moving out of my flat in Crystal Palace. I'd just launched mm -hmm. Toxo Media. I'd just got. No, I wasn't engaged at that point. I was engaged in twenty eighteen, but me and me and Fids were like, we need to moved to Essex to live close to her family. So you moved into my place. And then I remember saying to you, because you were thinking about opening a gym, weren't you? You're going to do something. You didn't know what it was. And yeah. I was like, what I'm doing for, for recruitment companies, this marketing business, you could do for gyms because you were so into fitness. It was the only thing you seen because you'd been to Bali and done all this training, hadn't you? Yeah. It was, it was the one thing you were genuinely interested in at that point. Yeah, yeah. So then I left, left Sydney, um, went to Thailand, did 30 days in Thailand um to literally obviously just just get fit and no alcohol for 30 days probably I think that was the first time i've ever done it and i was like this feels good within 30 days i was like released a lot of stress felt less a lot less burnt out i was like i actually probably could go back to work now mm. uh, back to the recruitment but then i met up with one of my mates george in thailand we did a month of hardcore like training like twice a day and no drinking then i went to bali did another 30 days no drinking then I met up with you and a few others in like Asia and stuff and Hong Kong and, and then came came back to London and moved into your flat. You, so you did start the Drive Group UK. Do you remember? You started the you did yeah. start the same business. Did you use the same website or did you have your own version of it? Same website, just with a different URL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, launch a UK recruitment company. So I came back and I was like, I was still wasn't sure whether it was your heart wasn't in it. Whether it was, I was in Australia, yeah. Whether it was like, whether it was because I was based in Australia, was a homesick. What was the reason why I wanted to to leave in 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 in, um, in Oz? So I came back and I was like, I'm gonna have a go here in England. I'll try it on my own and I'll, I'll I'll give it a go. Did a few months, did a deal, did one deal, didn't you? One deal, spent a bit of money on ads. Probably broke, probably broke even on the whole business venture. And then I was like, did that deal and felt literally nothing. I was just like, yeah, this this isn't for me anymore. But it was good to do it. I could test it out and then. Um, I was like, right now it's time to go through the process of winding down these little bits. Um, and I was like, what is it I'm going to do? I spoke to you and, you know, wrote down like five things that I enjoyed doing at that time. I think it was like fitness, helping people. I was interested in social media at that point because it was pretty new. 
um, traveling and there was something else I can't remember but it was like five things I wrote down that I'd do for free and then it's you and you were like I'm doing this why don't you look at it potentially for something you're interested in maybe the fitness industry I was like yeah all right because I'd, I'd also been in Bali and Thailand training at these amazing gyms and Australia training at all these gyms and I knew a lot about them, but most people I'd speak to... But not. F45 didn't even exist, really, at that point, or in England, anyway. It was like a very, very... There might have been one in London or something. It was a really new concept. Now, like, Mark Wahlberg's involved, and it's, like, unbelievable business. But yeah, you you were you were privy to, like, the first scene in Sydney that no one else had seen. Yeah, so it was, it was starting to grow pretty quick, but it still wasn't, like, recognised internationally if anyone and doesn't know what we're talking about we're talking about f45 stands for functional fitness 45 or whatever and it's basically those group classes isn't it it's that studio based i'm in this office now there's one called high at the bottom and it's exactly the same you know it's a you go there you you beast yourself for 45 minutes in a room in a group and you know that's it and they've literally exploded around the world those those class-based studios mm -hmm. yeah so it's like boutique boutique fitness so high you know more of a premium price point and class base so like they run like a certain amount of classes per day um mainly like in between of a personal trainer and going to the gym isn't it it's like an in-between yeah. point it's like that model that they, they they went in between at a better price point than like a pt yeah. and a, like semi-private pt and they've done really well i don't know how many studios they've got now but i know they had like two thousand a couple of years ago and then um yeah so <clears throat> i was like i knew a lot about all these different fitness studios but not many people did and they weren't marketing very well and even you know it was quite a relatively new con uh, concept about five six years ago and then i decided to set up a fitness marketing agency which a digital marketing agency which i knew nothing about i knew nothing exactly about the same as me i knew fuck all about this space but i had that i was liking what i was liking you was like it's like wayne rooney when he was playing for everton at 70 or 16 like you know nothing so you've got no fear like i think going back into recruitment you knew exactly what was going to happen when you landed in london you just knew all the pitfalls and it was like, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. Like, and I probably had a similar feeling when I was launching Hoxo. I was like, I kind of know what the, I mean, I wouldn't have known exactly, but I knew roughly what was going to happen. Whereas yeah. when you've got no idea, you just, you had, I remember you had grand plans from day one. You, you did have a bigger vision for this, for that business, right? Yeah, I definitely had a bigger vision. Um, and I had no idea yeah, what I was going into. And I think, if I knew now what I was going into, I don't know if I'd have done it because um, it was a lot. There was so much work involved. Um, so what was the genuine? What was the? What did you sell? What was the concept of the product? The product was to basically, in simple terms, was to to help a fitness studio. Let's say, let's say a studio that's in Sheffield, the one that's below you right now, was to help them basically generate more awareness and generate more leads using Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, so you yeah, you target people within a certain mile radius, certain age ranges, and then you'd tell them a story about that product and that gym. And then you'd obviously then get them to actually click and give their information. And that would be leads for the for the studio. Once they get the leads, then there's the process of like nurturing, nurturing leads and also training the studio or giving the studio advice based on how they can actually sell more effectively to convert more of the leads. I mean, the, the fact you can explain it in 30 seconds as clearly as that means it's a, it's a good model, right? There's a, the clarity in that model is great. I think a lot of marketing is so ambiguous, mm -hmm. you know, so fucking all. Like, that's why my business product, you know, it's I train recruiters how to be brand themselves better on LinkedIn by following a proven methodology, right? It's the same sort of thing. It's simple. Um, 
we were nowhere near that at that point. Link Toxo was going through all sorts of, <laughs> I remember you were, thinking, you were like, every week you seem to do a different thing. I'm interrupting this episode to talk about our main sponsor today, Talent Ticker. And if you're looking for ways to get ahead of your talent in, uh, well, ahead of competition in 2022, Talent Ticker is here to help. Everyone says to me, Sean, candidate short market. Like I've literally just got off my academy today and I've had 150 recruiters tell me the candidate short market. What that means is they're spending so much time trying to find candidates and they're spending less time talking to clients, Okay which means there's a challenge because if the market corrects itself and turns, are you going to be aware of which are the, who are the hiring clients? And are you also getting access to the best candidates? So Talent Ticker, through the end of this month, any Hoxo listeners who request a demo of the Talent Ticker product will receive a free personalized list of leads to help them get a jump on the rest of the year. It's the first recruitment intelligence platform. It's like the Bloomberg of recruitment that provides you accurate contact information of both passive candidates and the companies looking to hire. So it gives you that predictability of when a company's been, you know, got investment or grown um, to a point where they believe they'll be making hiring decisions. It'll tell you what type of roles and the contact information for the hiring manager. So it's passive candidates and the opportunities. It kind of seems a bit too good to be true. So anyone using this tool can guarantee you'll be calling the right person at the right time for the right reason. Don't wait. Go to Talent Ticker or get.talentticker.ai forward slash Hoxo and get your leads today. I remember you lived in my flat in Crystal Palace for six, seven, no, well over a year, but about six months you were on your own and you were working with some freelance support guys and it, was, it wasn't it was taking off. And then you got in bed with a mate of yours, Steve, and then you two, when they, when you two came together, it seemed to change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so for the first, the first six months was, uh, yeah, it was just obviously trying to figure out what the hell the product was, you know, how to pitch it, how to sell it. Um, running around London, going to meet as many different you, studios. You were doing like, they were giving you like free trainings. You were constantly in gyms just recording it on video. That's all it seemed to be. Yeah, so I was meeting loads of different people, traveling around London, building building up, you know, knowledge, learning how to actually sell the product. Because the first six months I was going out selling it, I didn't know what I was selling. Like, I didn't yeah. know anything about Facebook or Facebook ads. So I'd go and sell something that didn't know what it actually was. So yeah, it was difficult. So I had to go through that process to then figure out how to actually sell the product. Then um, we had a certain amount of clients. Then I got a few, obviously I had a freelancer involved first that didn't work out, wasn't very um, wasn't very helpful. And then got Steve involved. And uh, yes, things started to actually, you know, have some traction. And then started working with different advisors that were helpful as well. Then hired a couple more. Three, uh, no, I didn't hire it straight away. Then we had some, hired maybe one or two other people, other freelancers to support marketing. And then we started running ads and when we started running ads facebook ads that was when there was a lot of traction so we went around to loads of different uh, gyms that we were working with at the time filmed filmed the obviously catching up with the gyms and the results that they were getting then used that video on facebook ads and literally like just blew up in terms of the amount of leads we were getting in from from different studios not just in the uk but in different countries as well you went you went from a very, very organic way of generating business, like actually going to gyms, meeting them, doing a training session, selling your services to, mm-hmm. to doing what you were selling, running paid ads on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram, and then you were getting leads and closing clients. I remember you went from like having like five gyms in London to about 25 and you had like Singapore, Dubai, Australia, America. And I was like, what is going on? 
it will literally exploded overnight. Yeah, and then and then the, the the way it exploded as well was we went to an event. We got invited from from putting out content on social. We got invited to go to an event in uh, Stamford Bridge and speak in front of like I don't know maybe eighty people, but about twenty five different franchise gyms, um, and we ended up signing about eighty percent. Um, after the event within like a week and that really took us up to a high number. Some of them had multiple studios that you got to work with all of them and yeah yeah yeah. and then off the back of that then we could obviously go and hire more people hire a few more people and then we started working in America and Canada and Australia and Middle East and Asia and uh, all different places and then ended up moving out of your flat in the uh, at the end of the first year and I think we had about 25 clients at that point. We'd obviously signed more, but we had about 25 at that minute in time. And then we went to Asia and we were going for a month because we were both like been a busy, been a busy first year. Steve had moved him into my flat for a period of time just so we could get to know each other more. And then it was like, right, let's go to uh, let's go to Thailand for a month. Because I knew it would be a good place to go to. As you do. <laughs> That's not not many businesses go after a year. Let's go to Thailand for a month as a as a team. Like that just doesn't happen, by the way. But anyway, yeah. So I was like, let's go, let's go to Thailand. Um, took took Steve, took Connor, who was a guy that I'd met in Africa. who was a young lad who was a videographer, Canadian um, videographer in Africa, mental. But yeah, yeah. So he's only he's only a young lad. He came and met us in in um, Thailand. Did a month in Thailand, and we doubled the business in the in the first month in Thailand. And Why? We, the main factors were we'd hired a salesperson um, in the UK um, to work with me. Then we'd hired a few more marketers to work with Steve's team. Um, and then we were still running the ads. And because we were based in, in Thailand, we could then service Australia and, um, and Asia. So we just opened up those two markets as well as the UK and Europe. So that, they were the main factors. And then it was like, right, distraction. Uh, we're not going home either. We're staying in. We stayed in Asia, so missed the return flights. And we ended up staying in Thailand and basically moving between Thailand, Bali, Singapore, Malaysia, and getting to know that Asian market um, and starting to obviously sign more clients in Australia. And because we were on the time zone of Asia, we could sell to Australia. We could sell to Asia, and we'd be awake before the the UK UK team would be up, and then we'd be ready to ready to go in the UK team get up. It was like three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon where we were. And we'd work through till about midnight. And then um, you'd have some US calls at that point, wouldn't you? And then it'd be UK and then US would be very late. Oh, I remember having like certain calls with F45 HQ at like midnight in Thailand, which was uh, after like a day of 12 hours or longer. And um, yeah, there was the, the hours we were doing, it was basically, we initially started working like early afternoon till 10 o'clock at night or whatever. But as you get busy, you just start doing more work. So it ended up going from like 1 p.m. start or whatever to like 12 p.m. and it go down to like literally working Asia hours because of Australia to start at nine and then work all the way through as long as we could until we could carry on with the UK hours and then stop working. And then what were you doing though? Like you say working, what were you actually doing? Pers is it, were you just selling or was it, what other roles were you doing at that point? The main roles I was doing was selling um, into into uh, mainly Australia and Asia because of the, the time zones and some of the UK. I was uh, recruiting for the whole the whole business. So I was doing all the recruitment. So I'd hire, um, I'd go and find the people, obviously interview, get the team to interview them, and then 
go through that process, which was a that was a big part of the role. Obviously, figuring out the direction and the strategy and looking at the product and things that were working, things that weren't working, how we could improve the product, working with the marketing team, working with you know, working with the finance team, making sure because we had a lot of challenges around like you know, exchange rates and making sure that we could charge in different currencies and yeah. just different things that came up that I had no idea about that we had to figure out. Um, you know, the legal side, making sure we had all the right kind of agreements in place and everything was was correct. That was a big part of my role. Ended up hiring a PA who came in to work with me that was really helpful and she was great. Um, what other parts of the role? I was doing a lot of content and, you know, trying to build the brand. Um, I was going on podcasts and I was doing my best to try and get the name out there across the world pretty much. It did um, feel like from watching you, like we were doing all right over here, but it felt like you the business exploded like you know because the video content you're producing you're all on like boats jumping off boats you're flying around the world you're speaking at events in dubai and all these different things mm. and it did seem like you were really happy i mean i remember coming out to see you at the christmas and i mean again there was a lot of alcohol involved um but it did the setup was pretty cool you were in these like you lived in these ridiculous villas you were like pablo escobar at one point on a mountain in phuket um but you had all these people out there you had people in asia you had people in europe it genuinely felt like you know you were you were clearly working at a point that was not necessarily sustainable, but you did seem quite happy with it at that point. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. <clears throat> on on reflection, it wasn't very sustainable. But at the time, obviously, when you when you're in the in the middle of it and you there's a lot going on and it's exciting, you're like let's just let's just carry on. And you know, I was getting I had a lot of different advisors working with as well. And um, when yeah, did things change then? When did it start? Because it obviously things didn't go to plan after the after on the return to the uk so what happened tell us about what changed yeah so there was just to answer that as well there was a lot of excitement and yeah there was periods where i was definitely happy but i was working ridiculous hours and i the the, the busier i got the more of the things that were actually making me feel good i just let go so i'd let the training go because i had problems with my back so i'd like so i can't train like i'm struggling to train so i'll just focus on work more um, I stopped catching up with friends and people because I was like, I'm just going to carry on working. So I let a lot of the things go that were probably, I had a bit of a balance for a period of time in Asia, but then as it got busier, the balance slipped, um, which I think was a, was a big part of it. Then we went from 25 in that first year, like I said, to hundred at the end of the second year. Um, and at that point, uh, I'm trying to think of the dates at that point, then I was moving back to the UK. So when I moved back to the UK, and did um, started doing Europe and America. Why? Why the? Why did you move? Because you moved back to Manchester. Why did you do that? Moved back to Manchester because we were at a point where we wanted to continue to grow the sales function, and we wanted to build build out the sales team to generate, obviously, to make it more of a recognised global business. We wanted to 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 build the, the sales function, and we'd already built out the marketing function to a level that we needed more sales to to actually capitalize yeah yeah to be able to deliver on it and, and have more you know have more clients um so the reason to come up to manchester was to base myself in one place again um because in asia there wasn't a recognized setup business that we had and um, i looked into that but it was a big process to set it up and it didn't feel like the right decision at that point so then it was like right let's go um let's go back to manchester and set up a small office in manchester and then for a few months before i set the office up I was traveling a lot. I was living in hotels. I was, um, I was in America. I was, I was in Europe for different meetings with clients. And I started to feel when I got back from Asia, which was like 
April or something. Mm. I started to feel tired. I was like, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling burnt out. <clears throat> and I was like, I need some time off. But because the business was going at such a pace and I wasn't working with anybody um, on my own personal life, then I just continued with the business. I was like, I'm just going to carry on going. And then um, it literally, after that summer, we ended up getting the office in Manchester in the September. And then, um, yeah, we had like, went from, I don't know how many people, a certain amount of people to, to a much higher number of people, maybe like 25 people. And I'd gone from running a remote business, living in on the beach in um, Thailand, wearing no shoes, to coming back to Manchester, buying a place. Winter's kicking in. Winter's kicking in. Um, my mum and Ed moved in with me because obviously they'd, um, they just sold the place, so they moved in as well with me. Yeah. And I was commuting in for about an hour to get into the city, into an office, which I'd not worked in an office for years. And I was knackered and I needed some time off at that point. And yeah, just it all kind of hit me at once. It was like the business what? was taking care of itself in a lot of ways. You know, there was people doing every job really. Like you were still selling, but you weren't essentially doing anything, were you? Like you, you did have the pillars in place that the whole business was ticking. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, didn't seem to didn't seem to find fulfillment or happiness at that point, which is what people would expect. You get to a point in your business, everyone's running. Now it's time to enjoy it, and you know, you didn't feel those emotions. No, I didn't feel that way at all. No, because my mindset at that point was to continue to grow the business, like because of the you know we'd put in we put in strategies of exit plans and to make sure that we can, can carry on scaling it and to. And to sell it, so I felt I felt like this uh, responsibility and pressure to continue for it to grow aggressively every month. And I was at a point where I needed to, to to stop for a little bit and have a little bit of a rest and make sure that I could recover to then to then go through that next that next period. Sounds very similar to what you went through in Australia, really. Very similar, different scale, different business, but similar emotion. Very similar. And the, the the big challenge, there was obviously challenges internally, there was challenges with people, there was challenges with clients. Um, there was the, the, the biggest challenge we had as a business was to make sure that we could get enough leads coming in and we could sign enough clients. So it wasn't as simple as you know, you've got your teams in place and you can kind of let it run. It wasn't, it was a very much a business of high churn rates and con constantly on the sales. Like you have to sign a certain amount every month or more to make sure that we continue to grow and we kind of hit a, like a, a plateau of growth where we'd got to about 150 clients and our churn rate was was meaning that we were losing as many clients as we were signing so it kind of hit that that point right so what did you do next it was the it was the new year of 2019 wasn't it yeah it was um it was no so it's no new year of 2020 was it because it was, yeah, it was the year of the pandemic when things changed for you, wasn't it? I remember Christmas of 2019, I was with you. I was going through my own shit in my marriage. You stopped drinking on New Year's Eve. Where did that decision come from? So you still got the business. You were, you were fucking miserable from my perspective. You were not happy at all. And then out of nowhere, you went not drinking. So you, you had a pint on, New, on Christmas. You had a couple on... You had one on New Year's Eve and then you went, that, I'm going to give it a break. Where did that come from? Yeah, that year, 2019, that year, <clears throat> I'd not drank that much anyway. Like I'd slowed it right down because I knew that if I carried on, if I, if I kept drinking, I never drank 
Like, I never had a problem with drinking, but I would if I drank, I'd drink, I'd, I'd get pissed. Um, and I was like, I can't afford to. Like, the way my mindset feels, where my mind feels, you know, I was going through, uh, at the time, I didn't fully know it because it's confusing, but I was going through depression. I was going through, like, overwhelming amounts of anxiety. Um, yeah, I was struggling. And the the alcohol wasn't going to help. So I was like, that's one thing I need to stop doing because... I need to protect myself from that. And you that, started smoking, which you didn't ever do. Smoking for the first, which I never, obviously in the past, I might have smoked a bit when I drank, but um, yeah, I'd started smoking because I'd worked with people, you know, Steve and a couple of the lads smoked. So I was around. In Asia, you got into it. Asia, and it's obviously a pound a packet in Asia. So it was, um, it was appealing. And once you get into that, like once you start smoking, to come off smoking or come off nicotine in the midst of the busyness, I was like, I can't do that because my mind, I know the withdrawal of alcohol, like which again, you weren't addicted, but it's still, you have a lot of triggers to go and have a drink, don't you? You have a lot of moments, football's on, let's have a beer, lads meet up, let's have a beer. There's loads of moments where it triggers you to give up that and and nicotine, I think would have been too much at once. Yeah. So I stopped, I stopped smoking, but when I got back from Asia, I started vaping. So I got on the vape for a period of time and got off cigarettes because I was like, I don't want to be smoking. Um, and then drinking, I'd slowed it down in 2019. And I knew that my my health, my mental health, like my emotional health, was not good. So I was like, I need to stop drinking. And I had a pint, I think, with you. I was struggling that Christmas, um, in terms of I just wasn't present at all. I was wasn't. I was yeah. constantly thinking about the business and how I can grow it and what I need to do, and you know, completely in my own head without anyone to um, to really work with on it. And then, yeah, stopped drinking at the end of end of New Year, and then came into the January in that and from the January to the March yeah it was really difficult again like I'd set I'd set some things in place for the business and we were achieving most of the things that we put in place but it was I just wasn't enjoying it like I wasn't I wasn't happy I wasn't I was struggling with my own with my own health I just felt good job you didn't drink that year I think because imagine you'd have been drinking through that because then the pandemic hit yeah what happened there well, I felt before the pandemic, I was, I was, there was plans in place before the, for that three months, there were certain things that I was trying to achieve in the business before the pandemic that was to get myself into a position where I could actually take a bit of a break and actually think um, outside, of the, outside of the business. But then the pandemic hit and it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. The business. Because you had like every client pretty much message you within like a day, didn't you or something? Yeah, it was in a few days. I remember I went to a meeting the week the week before it and I went to a meeting. We'd, we'd obviously, we'd grown as well. We'd overhired because of the, we were trying to make sure we were leveraging and making sure we, we were ready to grow if we could yeah. find more clients. So we'd over, the amount of revenue we had, we had way too many people. Um, and then obviously the pandemic hits and the clients we work with are relatively small businesses. You know, the, the, the revenue is not that big and they were really affected by it. And um, yeah, literally just had pretty much every client, not every client, but within a, let's say 80, 90% of the clients that didn't want to continue and didn't want to carry on paying. So that you've lost 90% of revenue overnight. Yeah. You're already mentally going through turmoil. You don't even like your business at this point. You're living, was mum still living with you? Or she moved, she'd moved out of then, hadn't she? Oh no, she was still there in the pandemic. Yeah, mum was still, mum was still there in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you basically, you've got your parents who are struggling with their life who haven't got a house to live in, got nothing to do at that point, thinking about where they go with their life. You've got your business. 
what did you do next? I remember I spoke to you loads at that period, but what in your what did you do at that point? At that point, it was there was an inner voice saying to me like, "This is the you you need a break, like you need to take some time off, otherwise you're gonna you're gonna end up in a in a bad way." Like I didn't really know where it would go to next, but I just knew like an intuition feeling that something was not going to be good if I, if I continued on the path I was on. So I was like, things need to change. And I had to go through a process with all the clients, um, which meant we, we lost a lot of clients. And then I had to go through a process with the team and, you know, let a lot of the team go, which was yeah, really difficult. Um, yeah, it was horrible. And, and it's not just, yeah, it's horrible doing it and it's horrible going through that process, but then it's, it's the, the process in it after it and going through the different emotions and the feelings that you go through after it as well. It's not just in that moment. It, obviously, that goes on for a long time. Um, and then... The business quite rapidly closed. Like, you know, you know clo- it shrunk. So you went from, you know, 20-odd staff to 100-odd clients to, like, I think you went down to a really core team pretty quick, didn't you? There's only, like, five, six years after a month or so. After a month or so of, of, um, of the lockdown. Yeah, when that when that first hit, there was like, yeah, maybe five or six people, five or six people, and maybe I don't know twenty percent of the the clients that we had when we when COVID hit. And then and then I split up with my wife at the time, which was a fucking disaster. And then I I mum as mum moved out, I moved in, which in a way was good and probably not so good because you you didn't have any time on your own really. I remember coming in. My memory was getting into that house, not really. I knew you were struggling. We'd spoken on the phone, but I hadn't seen it. And it was clear when I got there that you weren't in a good place. More that you like I, the way I would re- recall it is just processing information was just not happening. Like you'd say something, you just couldn't think. Like you would literally, I'd talk about something and you'd be like nodding, but I could tell you weren't listening. It was just like you were so trapped in this business in your head. Mm-hmm. What was going on in there, if you can remember? Like what, what, what were the thoughts? hard to remember fully but um at that point it would have been it would have been like um worst case scenario thinking you know uh, what is it uh, like thinking about the yeah cash yeah thinking about what could go wrong you know what what has gone wrong um going through different emotions like regret and guilt and shame and fear and doubt and anxiety and depression and yeah, just mind being very active and thinking about anything, anything, <clears throat> anything negative and nothing positive. Do you know what I mean? Like just thinking, just thinking about constantly being very self-centered and, and focused on myself and thinking about the business and how I can just get through this next period because what I really needed was time off, but I wasn't, I wasn't able to get the time off because of all the things that went on with the with COVID and you didn't want I mean you weren't happy in the business but you I guess there's a bit of an ego attached to building a business right you'd been on this sale trajectory of growth and then suddenly it's going the other way and you weren't even happy when it was going that way so it's not like and that's what I kept saying to you Jake if you were literally like in love with the business six months before I'd be like you know what you what have you got to do to save it and but you were you weren't even happy when it was going well so maybe this is for this is for the best and what did you decide to do then after that? Because the next six months was when it all just really slowed down. Yeah. So for the next, for so when you came to stay was a big was a big moment. You know, 
um, had some other challenges with with things in the business at that point, which which you remember as well, I think. And the team got smaller, and it was like a it was like a breaking point to an extent. It was like it was like things need to change here. And um, I remember yeah, just breaking down in that in that August and just being like, things need to. I need to go and speak to someone. And spoke to a therapist. Um, did three months with the therapist, which was from like August to November, and that was that was really good. Like I never, I'd never spoken about emotions, and never spoken to anyone about thoughts, never spoken to anyone about body sensations, and never spoken to anyone about feelings. Um, really, do you know what I mean? Like little bits and bobs, of course, but never, you know, looking at it with somebody and then getting some techniques off the back of it. And I was starting to feel a little bit better. Um, and at this point, I was like, I still wasn't completely sure what I was going to do with the business because I was like, I don't want to rush into a decision and just wind down the business. Um, but I also, I'm not happy and I don't feel fulfilled and I don't feel like this is the path that I should be on. Like for everything that I've done to get to this point and I feel like this, then surely it isn't the path to, to fulfillment and happiness for me. Um, so then I was like, right, I got to like three months working with this guy. And then I remember you and Anna were working with um, Aria. And at that point, like, you just started working. I was like, yeah, I'm going to speak to him. And started speaking to Aria, started working with Aria, and then <clears throat> cancelled, obviously, working with the other therapist and just started working with Aria. And I feel like that's when things really started to change. And I was able to just understand myself more and, be able to understand what direction I actually want to go in. And I feel like I probably wasn't going in the right direction even before I started that business. Like probably was never the right thing to set up, but I'd not sat and thought about it enough and had somebody to work with to get clarity on the direction that I actually wanted to go in. Um, and I always kept coming back to like the question of what would make me happy? Like, it's quite a cliche question, isn't it? But it's like, what would, what would make me happy? Like I got into this business to be happy and I'm not happy. So what going forward would make me happy? And um, working with working with Ari was was really good and I still work with him now. And it's been been really useful for understanding myself, my emotions, um, how to process emotion, how to how to, you know, start to focus on relaxation and release an emotion. Um, because going through that kind of process is traumatic. Yeah, um, yeah. There was, there was trauma attached to it. So I had to go for a process of understanding the emotion, understanding my thoughts, and then releasing that emotion and, and going for a process of trying to release that trauma and the energy that's coming up. Because if you don't release the energy within your body, then you'll keep having the thoughts. The thoughts will keep coming. So I had to go for a process of observing, noticing the thoughts, non like not judging anything that's coming up, but just observing it, noticing it, paying attention to it and then putting my attention in other places, like putting my attention on my breath or putting my attention onto my body, connecting to my body and then starting to release emotion, which for a long time I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, let go. Like, what does let go mean? Yeah. Um, but through, through practice, through reading, through, you know, I've read a lot. And you've literally gone for it. So in the last 12 months, since you officially pretty much closed the business down, 2021 was a real different year for you, wasn't it? It's like, you spent a lot of time on your own. You spent a lot of time meditating and learning. You've read how many books? I don't know. You've, you've been working with different people. You've been on a yeah. billion courses. Like you've done so many things in the last year. 
Yeah, yeah. So since 2020, when I started working with Aria, then it was like get clarity on the direction for the business. Got clarity on the business probably by you know the April 2021, somewhere around that. I ended up um, winding it down slowly for a few months after that. Then um, and having to wind down the team. And then <clears throat> since since COVID, I've been reading. I've probably read about 100 books. Um, Focus mainly on mindfulness and Buddhism and Stoicism and um, psychology and happiness and understanding emotions more like books on letting go and acceptance. Um, and I've been working, you know, I've had a PT, I've had a calisthenics coach um, that I hired because I wanted to obviously get in better shape and start feeling better physically. Um, obviously work with therapists and coaches for more of my, the mental side. Um, changed my diet up completely. Went to a went to a pretty much like a pescatarian diet, um, but mainly mainly vegetarian. But then eating some fish and a little bit of meat if I go out. Um, sleep been really focused on sleep and making sure that I'm intentional about how long I sleep for. And I've got like you know a tracking uh, ring called Aura, and there's another one called Whoop that you can get. But just to be more intentional based on sleep because I think I've underslept for as long as I can remember. But now I've started to um, understand that more and you know journaling like journaling i've got to a point where i don't like have a time every day where like, i'm going to journal but when i feel like my mind could be getting busier or my mind could be going down a route that i don't think is very helpful then i'll go and journal and i'll the write fact that you've just spotted though that's the difference right you just you've literally just said when my mind goes down a route that I don't think is very helpful, that's the awareness, right? And I've, I feel like that's what I've learned from Aria and what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for is that I can spot my own thought processes now, whereas I never used to know what I was, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know I was in control of it before. I used to think it was just, well, you know, you'd go through a problem and you'd just over, you'd overanalyze the fuck out of it all the time. And then a bit like a tap, once you know, you can say, well, I don't want to go down that road. Like I want to, but you've got you got to know how to do that. But you can you can keep your mind in a better place and your body in a better place. Hundred percent, like yeah. In terms of you can't control your mind, you can't control your thoughts, but you can change the relationship you have with yourself and your thoughts. So you can notice the thoughts, and you can go into you can you can write the thoughts down. You can look at what's coming up, and then you can go through a process like there's different techniques you can go through to actually change the way you speak back to yourself. Because the thoughts that are coming up, you're not actually, you're not the one, the automatic thoughts coming up, you're not actually saying it. There's an inner voice that will speak back to the thoughts. There's obviously lots of different thoughts coming up um, and different voices we have inside. Um, but there's a way that you can actually look at look at what's coming up from a, from a, from thoughts, from emotions, from, from feelings, and then you can go through a process to understand that habitual pattern that you've got in place, but then show yourself love and compassion and actually say the right thing back to yourself, which will help. Um, Cause a lot of it comes from, you know, limited beliefs that got in place. It could be, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not, there's something wrong with me. I'm, there's, there's what else. We could but you said it the other day to me about the second layer of judgment, which is insane. Right. So like yeah. you'll do something will happen. You'll feel an emotion. You'll react a certain way, which is the, the bit that you, you want to work on. But it's yeah. not even that that's the worst bit. It's the way you judge yourself in your mind after. It's the what you tell yourself about you. Like, I'm a bad person. I shouldn't have done yeah. that. Like, it's like going out and having a drink or something. Like, half the battle is not the drinking. It's the it's the judgment after the drinking that some people, like, I think you couldn't handle that. And that's 
why you don't drink anymore because you, yeah. you used to judge yourself. I have a bit of that. I'm not so bad. I think if I drink too much, I get really bad with it. But if I have the odd drink once or twice a month, I'm fine. If I drink three times a week, I start to feel that judgment is insane. Um, but it's being aware of that. Not many people, not people just don't seem to be aware of these things. Yeah. And in the, in the, in the past, when I was in that, you know, busy period and I wasn't ever sitting still, I wasn't ever practicing stillness or practicing meditation. Um, then yeah, it's difficult to be aware of it because it's the, the thoughts are coming up. But then when you go, what was I thinking? Then it's gone. It's like, well, I don't know what that was. Whereas if you can sit in stillness or you can, you can start to meditate or you can journal or whatever works for, for you, then you can start to get a better idea and understanding of your own mind and the nature of it. And then obviously there's tools and techniques to change those patterns over time, but it's very difficult and it takes a lot of work and um, commitment and, but I don't think there's anything more important like to actually develop awareness and to understand what thoughts are coming up, to understand your emotions, to understand your body sensations, to understand your feelings in your body. Um, I don't think there's anything more important because once you start to understand it and there's more awareness, then you can change your relationship with it and you're not judging yourself as a result of it. You can, you can be less identified with it. This, this level of conversation now is probably, it'll be people listening that will probably now get a bit uncomfortable. They're a bit like, oh, like, you know, one minute I'm listening to this guy's entrepreneurial story and the next now we're talking about emotion and feelings and thoughts. And especially as men, we're not taught to talk about this shit. No one, no one ever gives you that. It's Mental Health Awareness Week as we record this and there's no... Going back to when we were kids, there was no mental health awareness. It didn't exist. And so there's you're starting at 30 with you know, with with what what the fuck is this about? Like it's mad. So tell us about what your mission is now. Because you've now, you know, One Life is still the business name, but it's changed. It was One Life Social Media, now it's One Life Mindset Coaching. So tell us what what you're trying to achieve now. Yeah, so what I'm trying to achieve now, like there's a lot of things that I've gone through there's a lot of experience i've gone through there's a lot i've been able to learn and i've invested heavily in lots of different things to get to this point and you know one thing i didn't mention then is how important meditation has been for me like i don't drink alcohol anymore i don't drink caffeine anymore um and if i feel if i feel tired during the day i'll, I'll meditate for like five or ten minutes so I'll, I'll meditate in the morning every morning it's like the first thing i'll do it's like brushing my teeth and um yeah, like meditation's been huge. Like I've never meditated before two years ago, and now it's probably the best thing in my life. Um, yeah, so that's been huge for me because then you can actually you can actually observe what's going on, and you can get to a point where you there's less judgment towards yourself, and you can start to heal as a result of it. You can start to understand and just observe without judgment and pay more attention. But one of the main things with meditation is that you can actually pay attention more. So. You can pay attention, you can focus more, you'd be more productive, you can listen more, you can be more present. Um, by paying attention, for example, if you're in your mind a lot and you're thinking a lot and you can't get out of your own mind, once you actually start to meditate and you can build up that attention, you can put your attention into different parts of your body and, and drop out of your mind and drop into your body, which can be, like for me, can be amazing. Um, like at night time when I go to bed, say if you've got a busy mind, you can focus on paying attention to your body and drop out of being in your mind and obviously fall asleep a lot easier. I think 90% of recruitment owners would, would agree that they're always in their mind. You know, they've been, like how many people I've had on this show have talked about getting home from work and kids are there and wife's there, but they're not, they're still in the office in their head. 
yeah. you know, often as well. Like one one guy was telling me how like, you know, and I do this, whereas when I used to commute on the tube train, London, I used to send a lot of emails and messages on the way home. Like, you know, the shit I've missed during the day. Worst thing about that is you get home and then you get all these fucking responses as soon as you get in. So then you get home, you see someone like at the time, it was just me and my ex and Henry or whatever. Yeah. But still, I'd get a load of replies. And then instead of talking to the person you should be talking to, you're, you're in your phone or you're in your mind because you're fucking, whereas, you know, it's so dangerous. We go through life. We, you know, we say that we're working for these people. We're trying to build these families and we're trying to provide and we want to have the happy life that everyone talks about. But if we're not in it, we're not enjoying that moment with those people. Yeah. We're not thinking about what they're saying and listening and responding. What's what are we? What are we? When are we working? What are we working towards? Yeah. What's the point? Like, what one? Do you think one day, like we, that that Jordan Peterson comment on the podcast where he's like, "What are you? Ex one day you're gonna be like, you're gonna sell your business and you're gonna lie on your back and just drink milk like a baby, like because you got fuck all to do. Like, is that what are you actually going to achieve by all this hard work? if you can't be in the room with the people you care about today. Yeah. I think you've nailed it there. Um, yeah, I think it's, sorry. What are you trying to achieve now though? I want, that's the point I want to get out of this. Like what, what's the vision for you, not just you personally, but like, why are you now looking to help other people? Because I've been in that, I've been in that place and I think it's important. Like I want to, I want to train and, 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 and work with high performers, you know, whether it's business owners, whether it's, you know, recruitment consultants, whether it's, you know, entrepreneurs, whatever it is, but I want to, I want to work with them and, and, and help them balance the mindset and, and, and reduce stress levels and, and prevent burnout. But it could be, you know, there could be problems such as being in better shape um, eating the right diet could be feeling lonely, drinking alcohol. It could be drinking alcohol. It could be, you know, different fears and insecurities and anxieties. It could be relationship issues. It could be just trying to be more present. It could be that you want to try meditation out and um, have some accountability because a lot of meditation apps are brilliant, but the stats show that people drop off after about three weeks of using that due to lack of accountability. Mm. Um, so understanding how to, you know, have a technique and how to actually meditate. It's definitely something I'm passionate about because it's been really useful for me um it could be something you know it could be to do with time management and managing time in a better way it could be to understand or get clarity based on the direction you want to go in and what would actually make you happy and how you actually want to live not based on um external factors but based on what's coming from you and inwardly you know what, what direction do you want to go in how uh, often do you think people are going in a direction that isn't aligned to who they actually are me what do i think like from the people you speak to and network with and the conversations you've had, how often do you think people are going, they're following a route that they think society or, you know, their ego tells them to do as opposed to what they really, truly probably want to do? Yeah, the, the egoic mind is obviously being set by social constructs and, and conditioning based on what society says success is, which is more money, more fame, more approval, more recognition more, more, more of all these things that we think will bring fulfillment and and meaning and happiness, but they don't always bring it. Um, so I think for me, I think from going through the process and actually working with different people, I think it's about coming back to your, coming back to yourself because a lot of the time the world will try and decenter you. The world will try and take you off being grounded. Um, 
and it will try and take you away from what your path is. But if you can constantly have an opportunity to reflect and work with somebody to come back to what your path is and what you want, not what society says you should want, what you actually want will take you on the right path over time. I feel like now, like I feel like with the way Hoxo has moved and my own life living in Sheffield and remote business, like the amount of people say, oh, mate, you should be back in London and, you know, get that team in that office and grow it. You know, you got such a great brand and I could do that. I don't want to do that. Like, I love the fact that I work remotely. I love I've got this little office that I go to on my own and I spend half a day here and half a day at home. I love that my team is all over the world. Yeah, I love I love the way I've done it. And and I don't want to grow it exponentially to this. I don't. Like, I want to... We've got plans in place, but it's more around enjoying it and being happy. And, you know, there'll be this financial targets, but it, I'm not... In the past, I would have pushed growth for the sake of... To, at the expense of myself yeah I've done it. I, think, I think watching you is probably why I've, I've been aware of what could happen I think I've yeah. always I've managed it I've been less extreme than you I think I think you've always been a bit higher and a bit lower than me in, in life I think you've, you've probably achieved more by a certain age than I have but you've suffered more as well um, it's been amazing to watch what you've done the last year it's been incredible because you literally have transformed from a to a different human like you're not though even the way you're talking now the, the pace of your voice is different the tone of your voice is different you like this like butter, you're like a butter or something like <laughs> used to be fucking in your face fast pace talker bam 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 that's how i would have described you and now you're like it's like you've been laid back on for a bit drinking milk um <laughs> but it's good mate so if someone's listening to this right Recruitment owner, recruitment consultant, you know, what, if they want to, you know, if they, if they get in touch with you, what, how does it work? What are you going to, what, what, what would they get from you? Um, yeah, feel free to obviously, they can, they can get in touch with me. But in terms of, I think it's important to note this as well, like, um, in terms of what I do is it's high performance coaching um, and the difference between say coaching and an advisor is an advisor is going to just give advice based on experience and understanding. Um, whereas a coach is actually going to, um, what, I would, what, I would, what I'd be looking to do is obviously work with somebody and be asking the right kind of questions and guide them to come up with the answers that, you know, for the most difficult questions that they currently have on their mind in a, in a supportive and non-judgmental setting. Um, having someone that's in your corner someone that you can actually talk to about any area of your life doesn't just need to be work doesn't need to be personal could be a bit of both i've got obviously experience commercially with business i've got experience understanding the mind and understanding emotions i've been through it and i've come out the other side and it's not like i'm figured it all out and i'm always feeling great but there's techniques and tools to be able to to be able to deal with these things and um, in a more helpful way because we don't have that jay we, most people don't have an opportunity to talk for an hour a week 90 minutes a week whatever to someone about themselves like genuinely the thing i've got from my time coach with aria and even with you now is i can speak about myself and not sounds a bit selfish but i don't have to think about what your life like most yeah. conversations if, if i'm just talking about me after a bit, it's, it's a bit of a weird convo. And it's like, well, when are you going to talk? Like, you know what I mean? It's like going on a date and just talking about yourself for an hour. <laughs> like, sweet, fuck off, never dating you again. We've all, we've all had them weird yeah. dates, you know? 
and I'll say this in recruitment, I was like, the best skills of a recruiter is to ask questions and shut the fuck up and listen because you've got to play the game. But also, you've got to, you've got to tell a bit about yourself. So you've got to, you've got to have a, a two-way conversation. Whereas this is an opportunity to avoid, escape that and just talk about you. And judgmental, okay. another thing, I think even, I don't think I could have opened up to you a year ago like I do now because I would have felt like you were judging me because you're my brother. Mum, love her to pieces, but I know she'll judge the situation. She'll always act with my interest at heart. You know, yeah. I laugh about Nano growing up, our Irish Nano. I'd mention anything about anyone and she'd be like, the bitch. Like, we, I wouldn't even have to say their name and she always hated them. She's like, if anyone had ever caused me an issue, the bitch or the bastard. And she was like, you know, yeah. fight for my family kind of attitude. And your friends and family will often reinforce what you're saying or thinking. They'll just tell you what you want to hear. They want to make you feel good. They'll be like, yeah, that guy's a prick or that company's shit or whatever. Like, you know, I've just been fired. Yeah, that must be their fault, whatever. They'll always try and make you feel good because they care about you. But what that does is it it doesn't give you a truthful mirror. And you're not then working things out. You're just, you're just being reinforced the same bullshit you're telling yourself. Whereas when you've got someone who's trained to listen, you could say anything and they're not going to judge you. But they are going to question you and they're going to ask you, they're going to probe and they're not going to, they're not always going to, I've had situations with my, you know, soon to be stepkids that, you know, I could have told myself I've done the right thing, but the truth is I didn't. And when I speak to someone externally and they look at me and they go, well, why? And, they, and they, <laughs> they, they look right into you and they're like, well, why? Why did you do that? Why did you say that? What do you think that means to them? And you're like, fuck, yeah. And deep down, you always know. The truth is you always know. Mm -hmm. And I've learned as well, whenever you justify things, this is something that you've picked up as well. Whenever you justify something, you, you know, you you overly justify why you did something. Usually there's truth in the problem. There's truth. Like you don't just, like Ari said to me, like, if I called you a, 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 a broccoli, I was like, what? If he's ever called you a broccoli tomorrow, would it offend you? I was like, no. Would you, he said, would you justify why you're not a broccoli? I was like, it's a weird thing to say, but no, I wouldn't. He's like, exactly, because it means nothing. But the second you're justifying something, it's because it's triggered you, because there's some truth in it. No matter what it is, there's always a little bit of guilt or truth attached. And yeah, I, I, I can't recommend people enough to speak to people like you because, it, yeah, it's an investment of time and money. But you're investing in your own mind. You're investing in your own life. You're trying to, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be releasing so much and learning things that you just don't get elsewhere, especially when you're a high performer and you, you've got kids and wives and dogs and husbands and businesses and colleagues. It's, it's fucking nonstop. Definitely. Of course it is. Life is, um, life is definitely not easy. And it's one of the biggest regrets I've got that I didn't start working with somebody sooner. Um, but at the same point, I'm like, everything's unfolding as it should. And, everything's happened the way it should. And I think to go through the suffering and the pain that I had to go through and hit rock bottom was, you know, the way in which it helped me to wake up from being in that like automatic pilot trance like state um, to actually having a better understanding of who I am and the direction I want to go in. So it's all worked out in the right, in the right way and for the right reasons. But um, finally, I'd just say, you know, yeah, it's a good opportunity for people to also have the opportunity to actually offload and, talk about their emotions and talk about how, you know, any information they want to process, but also looking at like the thoughts and beliefs, because we are literally, you know, we, we are interpreting everything through our mind. We are our mind. So being able to understand our mind more and being able to actually 
work on our thoughts and beliefs and especially those limited beliefs is only going to be beneficial in the long run um so yeah hopefully that explains it love it and now so you're selling up the house in the background the beautiful elderly edge apartment that i lived in and you're off <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed goes through next week and then you're, you're buggering off for a bit but you'll be working you're gonna where are you gonna go yeah, yeah so i'm currently in the process of obviously selling it it's been going on for a while the process and um yeah i've been back in manchester for three years now and it's been great i've been able to obviously go through a lot of different things and settle back in and get into some good routines but planning on um planning on central america so looking at uh, guatemala mexico and costa rica and just deciding on where to go first might even do europe for a few weeks first but i'm just gonna be working from different locations and being um based on my laptop so when you decided last year what you know i'm gonna go and pursue what would make me happy you said it would having you know it's having time to dedicate to yourself it's working with people who've been through the same thing and it's having the freedom to travel and live in different places they were the things you said to me right and you you're living it which is amazing and i know there'll be people listening with kids who can't just like i've now got a different situation it's not as not as easy but there's no reason why you can't create your future of what you want to do there's no no one it's only you that's stopping you from from going and exploring and doing what you want Jake, thanks for being so open. Very odd but amazing episode for me. Obviously, I, did, I interviewed Amma as well not that long ago, and that was that was that was an interesting one. When when you know someone so well and you've lived it with them, but to hear it from your perspective in detail is is amazing. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure people will reach out to you. Um, LinkedIn will be a good place to drop your DM, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LinkedIn's LinkedIn um, is fine, and then the website is uh, onelifemindsetcoaching.com. Yeah, I'll get it all connected on. So it'll all be linked to the show. Um, and uh, and yeah, let, what, what I'd love to do is get you back on again, maybe in a year's time when you're sun-kissed and exotic living on a beach. Um, and we'll find out, you know, some maybe do some live live coaching or find out what you've been up to with different people and see how it's impacted. Ideally, some of the amazing people in the recruitment industry. So thank you for that. Cheers, mate. Thank you very nice much. Nice Catch up soon. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.